If you want to grab a seat, it is great to see people connecting to each other. We're thankful that you're here. My name is Drew. I'm the uh, pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights, and uh, thankful that you're here today. Um, really glad you're here. Thanks for connecting. So I hope you continue that connection after the service. We'll have treats and um, coffee, and um, yeah, you can hang out in the hallway. I also hear there's a there's a group of people who might be um, sledding after church today. So that's like next level hanging out. But if you're up for some sledding, I think the youngs are going, right? Youngs, is that true? Or sledding? All right, the youngs are taking you sledding if you'd like to go sledding. I think, or, or if you have kids who want to, you'll take their kids and go sledding? Get them lunch, maybe put them down for a nap? That'd be nice. They're so nice. You guys are the best. Um, it is good to see you. Um, and as Ke- Kelly had mentioned, um, it, does, it does feel like a heavy time. It feels like maybe we say that often, or, or maybe it is an extra heavy time. And we just wanted to take a second here as we um, get into our time in the Word today and uh, open our Bibles to just stop and pray. Um, and we're going to pray specifically today for uh, the people of Ukraine and, and just all that all those affected by that. So if you want, if you're willing to pray with me, you're just right where you're sitting, um, I'm going to pray. And, um, and then we'll, we'll keep moving here. But we just want to take a moment to stop and ask God to be in that and, and do that together. There's something really important about not just doing that, but together um, as God's family here today. So let's pray right now. Please join me in, in praying. Father, we ask uh, that you would be with uh, the people in Ukraine. We pray for protection and peace. We pr- pray for restoration a renewed hope in them. We pray specifically for children experiencing this, that their heavenly father would draw close, they, they would be protected in mind and body and soul. Lord, we pray for leaders involved for wisdom and courage in ending a war and creating a place of peace, a place where peace would abide. We ask for protection also for those who are currently fighting, that your presence would be with them, that you could bring peace, um, you care for them, that they know you are right there with them. Lord, we know uh, that you draw near the brokenhearted, the weary, and we know that you bring ultimate peace and protection through Christ. We cry out, Lord, to you. Please, Lord, we ask for your mercy on your people, and in all this you'd be glorified. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Amen. Uh, it is February, and we've been taking some time to uh, celebrate uh, Black history, a little extra uh, this month. And this week we have one I'm, I'm excited about. I, I know I said every week, but I am excited about this one. Uh, I have like a whole list that as the year goes on, I learn new things. I uh, just make a list. That, oh, I'll probably never end the list. Uh, but this one I'm excited. It's actually a group of people. We're going to celebrate the mourners. I'm calling them the mourners of Charleston. There isn't really a name for this group. Uh, uh, One of the original people, groups, who first celebrated Memorial Day, the celebration of Memorial Day that we celebrate at the end of May, happened on May 1st, actually, 1865. They believe this could have been the first or at least one of the first celebrations right after the Civil War. A group of freed slaves and missionaries from Charleston wanted to honor uh, uh, Union soldiers that had died in Charleston. They were prisoners uh, at a racetrack. The racetrack in Charleston, this is the 
like uh, main clubhouse or whatever of the racetrack. Um, and these are eventual graves that they would make. Uh, this became a prison at the end of the Civil War. And about 257 uh, Union soldiers had died there while in prison that last year, most of them from disease. Um, and they had just kind of chaotically been buried in unmarked graves on the grounds there. And so over two dozen black men and women, along with some local missionaries, organized these graves into rows. Now that's like in the history of this, they just say organize it. Can you imagine the actual practicality? They, or, they, they put these people in organized graves. This is what you see over here, this picture. Um, and they built a 10 foot tall white fence around it, creating a cemetery. And they built an archway over that that said Martyrs of the Race Course in big letters. If you can imagine this wall around there with this arch, they actually built a cemetery. And then on May 1st, about 10,000 local people, that's a lot of people, showed up, mostly black men and women and children who had been freed during the Civil War, gathered to celebrate these fallen soldiers who they were celebrating uh, their work and their sacrifice to bring their freedom. They organized 3,000 kids who marched around the racetrack singing songs and holding roses. They organized speeches and sermons from local white and black pastors and Union soldiers. It was one of the first events in the area that like, people from kind of all different areas and all different cultures came together. And they wanted to celebrate and honor uh, these people. They sang patriotic songs while um, the local white and black regiments actually came together and marched around the graves uh, to honor them. It all ended with a picnic uh, where there was all these sermons and songs that were sung. A newspaper reported it was a procession of friends and mourners as South Carolina and the United States has never seen before. The grave sites looked like one mass of flowers. Listen to this. The breeze wafted the sweet perfumes from them and tears of joy were shed. Isn't that wild to think this happened, right? right after the Civil War. This place of death and disease had turned into a place of celebration, of memorial, of a, of a future that was brought because of the sacrifice of these people there. It's really an incredible story. Um, for a, a while, it was a story that wasn't told very much, but later they found these newspaper articles and history and these photographs, uh, and they realized this really incredible thing that had happened uh, that day in Charleston, this uh, cemetery turning into a, a place of celebration. You don't often hear a breeze wafted of sweet perfumes when you hear about people hanging out in a cemetery. Now, we, we have this really great story, this really great news, and we have even a better news today, which I'm excited to get to as we get into the book of Ephesians here. We have some good news about someone sacrificing so that people would have a future. It rings so true in our hearts because this story is really just a shadow, really just a sweet wafting of an even truer truth, an even better future that we all have. And I'm excited to get there. Today we are in the book of Ephesians that we're going to be in through the spring here. And uh, last week we talked about the bad news of the beginning of Ephesians 2. Uh, if you remember, I'll just read it here so we can remember it's just a few verses. As you as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We heard this pretty terrible news that we were dead in our sin, in our disobedience, not just in our our, uh, actions against God, but also just who we were, just built into us. Since the fall, we have been sinners, disobedient, and dead. But we, we, we read that and we stopped there. We actually got to the end. We started, we started talking about the really good news that Christ has rescued us because that good news really wasn't that great a news unless we understood the really bad news. Uh, pastor Steve, who is our senior pastor at Hope, um, preaching this last week. And I love, he was just sharing an illustration that he used that I want to share. It kind of gives you a little flavor of this. Uh, no pun intended. He was sharing how he often is fishing all day long and doesn't eat. And all day he as he gets more and more hungry, he craves this burger uh, and fries. So if you can imagine that like all day you've been working really hard and you crave this burger and fries, like his favorite uh, like dive bar that he would go to. And so all day he'd crave that. It was like he'd, he'd suffer and feel that. And there was this craving for this burger. And when he sat down and ate, it was so satisfying. And so we shared the bad news last week to understand like how bad it was, really how, how dead we really were, to understand how good it is that this good news comes. We were dead, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is where we're going to be at today. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. We're going to keep walking. And today we get to the good news of this, that we were dead and now we are alive. So let's just walk through this. If you have a Bible, you'd like to open it or take notes. Otherwise, the passages will be up here on the screen. We start with this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead. We were dead, but he made us alive because of this love and his mercy is by grace you have been saved. So who did this? Who did the saving? God does the saving. He's loving. He's rich in mercy. He made Christ and made us alive, even though we were dead because of this disobedience. It's really important that we stop here and just see there's a lot of words here that are describing who God is. Words that I don't necessarily always attribute to God because of my own pain or own history. Words that I often forget, even if I think maybe God has a little bit. Uh, in the book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, there's actually a whole section kind of on this, on this part of scripture. And Dane Ortland uh, says this, in Ephesians 2.4, which says God's rich in mercy, being, uh, God being rich in mercy, being not becoming. A statement like that is taking us into the inner recesses of the creator, into heaven's holy of holies, behind the inner veil, disclosing to us the animating center of God's very being and nature. He says, can you imagine? Just really the core of who he is. He is the spring of all mercy. It is natural to him. It is his nature and disposition because when he shows mercy, he does it with his whole heart. He is a fountain of mercy. He is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. That's my favorite one. He's a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And, when, and the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater and not less. Is that not a great picture? It, 
I often, when I think of God's mercy, I think of like you know, the baby pool that's in the backyard that like fills the water and it fills with leaves and it gets gross. Uh, and, and he's describing here, do you understand the richness of his mercy? It's really much more uh, of an ocean, of, of a huge lake of mercy. Like I can dive in and I can't reach the bottom. It's really important that we understand who God is. This passage is not just describing who we are, but ultimately, like the beginning of Ephesians, this is reminding us of who God is and what he has done because ultimately we want the glory to go to him. And so as we start looking at this passage, we want to be reminded of his rich, rich mercy. You have a God who, who saw that you were dead because of your transgression, because of your sin, your disobedience, and he still is so rich in mercy and loves you so much that he would come and rescue you. It's really good news. And we keep moving. We hear this other word in here. It is by grace that you have been saved. If that's maybe a word you've heard a lot or, or unsure of, grace just is a free gift. It's undeserved. It's saying that you got this, not because you were awesome or because you did something. Remember, you were dead. But because Jesus shows up, even while you were dead, and, and hands you life doesn't even really hand you life. He pulls you from the grave and we say yes to it. That's what we say in the church. If we say, do you have faith in Jesus? We're asking if, do you put your faith, do you trust that Jesus is the one who said, who, who has rescued you, has pulled you out of the, the waters, right? You, you're drowning or pulled you from the grave. You're saying yes to him. Not, when I ask if you have faith in Christ, I'm not asking, have you done enough so Jesus would, would want to come rescue you? Were you kind of sick and Jesus came and you, you and Jesus figured out how to heal yourself, but you're saying yes to him and this gift of grace. All right, let's keep going here. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. Even more words describing who this God is and what he has done. He's pulled us, he's raised us up. It's like we were dead and just as Christ was dead in the grave, he's raised us up. This reminds me of Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in his humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Do you hear this? Because we were flesh and blood. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? With with Athanasius fighting for the, the, the reality, the truth that Jesus was man and he was God, that because we are flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity, that's Jesus, so that by his death and his resurrection, he would break that hold of death and rescue us. Dane says this uh, later in Gentle Lily, he says, Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people. He was come to raise dead people. It's really important. Those are all helpful things, right? Mending people, waking people, advising people. This is a, this is a big deal. He came to raise dead people to life. Not just, not in addition, not like a, just another self-help thing, not like some good advice, but to raise us to new life. 
This book, Gentle and Lowly, has been really encouraging. I know we gave copies. I think we still have copies out on the table. Um, if you're walking out and you don't have a copy and would like to read it, it's for sure one of the most encouraging books I've read in a while. Um, we have them stacked as you, as you walk out. I encourage you to read it, to continue to just even understand some of that great mercy and love of our God. Another part of this that's important in this passage, not understand that we were raised with Christ, that he died and then like brought, brought us, not like he did, God brought us to life. There's this word, us. Uh-oh. Does it, it didn't line up right. Imagine that circle over the word, us. I, re, I really like, this struck me this time reading this passage. I think uh, Ephesians 2, if we're not careful, like all the scripture, can be all about us. We can go, hey, I'm having a really rough week. Ephesians 2 reminds me I was dead and God raised me and now I'm alive. And forget that it talks a lot about who God is actually. He wants to bring glory to him, but also it's one that talks about us, the family of God. And here's one of those moments we can see this. God raised us up with Christ and raised us with him in the heavenly realms. Can you imagine this now? Picture this as Christ dies and he comes out, uh, he, he raises from the dead, defeats death, and Satan, he comes out, walks out of the tomb with us. I often can just think like, it's like he's got me on his back. He's like, come on, Drew, we can do this. He's, he's got all of us. This is the thing that unifies us, is that Christ has risen with all of us. And then it gives us this picture that us together are with him in the heavenly realms. But us together, the church, his family, has brought all of us. That's even more incredible. That's even more mercy and more love. Not just he, he mustered up enough mercy and love for one of us, but for all of us. And there's some like messed up people just in this room, right? All of us. And he said, hey, all of us, he brought us all. This again points me to Ephesians or to Hebrews, reminds me of uh, a great moment in Hebrews. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Hebrews is giving us this picture saying there's this anchor to our soul, this hope that doesn't, no matter what storm comes, it doesn't shake us, it doesn't pull us loose, it doesn't drift us into rocks, it doesn't tip our boat over and, and flood it, it doesn't sink us. It says it enters into the, the sanctuary behind the curtain. What is, that's a weird phrase. What's a curtain? Is it here? Do we go behind the curtain here at, at the high school? It's referring to the temple. And the, the, there was a curtain that went into like the Holy of Holies, this area inside the temple that was where God's presence was. And only a few select people, the, the priests got to go in there. And only certain priests got to go in there. And they got to go in there and be in the presence of God. That's where they brought sacrifices to take care of the sins of the people. And, and Hebrews is talking all about how Jesus is greater than all things and he's the greatest high priest. And he actually enters into that place and actually sacrifices himself. And now it's not just, okay, we go to Jesus and then he'll go sacrifice for us. He's saying, it's like, open that curtain and brought us all into that place with God. It's like Jesus has, Jesus has died on a cross and risen and now he brings all of us he grabs all of us and brings us into the heavenly places, into God's presence. That means we get to enter into God's presence together. 
That's incredible. That's a thing that people had to take many, many steps and spend lots of money and sacrifice lots of things thinking that would get them in the presence of God. And this great good news that we have says, you get to, because of Jesus, be made alive and brought into the, into the place where God is. Again, a God who is loving and kind and merciful, we get to be brought into his presence. And in this passage, we get to hear one more time his incomparable riches of his grace and his great kindness to us. We have a hope and a future also. So not only are we brought into his presence, but it says in the coming age, when there's a future that now we get to be with God, but God will come back and make things right. It says right now we might still actually feel some of that death, but there's a time where we will not, where Jesus will return. It's really good news. From the news that we were dead and deserved it to the news that now we are in the presence of God and that he's still gonna come make all things even better and right is incredible shift in just a few sentences. It tells us a lot about who God is. Here's just a few of the things just from this passage that we learn about who God is. It's so important as we know who God is, it informs who we are and informs how we act and how we uh, behave, how, what our life looks like, how we overflow into others. Just, just from this passage, we learn that God is love, he's mercy, he's a razor-upper. Couldn't think of a better word for that. <laughs> Riser. <laughs> he's with us now and he's with us in the future. He didn't come and say like, okay, I rescued you. Now don't keep doing dumb stuff. I'll be back. He's with us. He's actually brought us with him to his throne in heaven and he's rich in grace. This free gift, this grace isn't like a, uh, I guess I'll give. It's, it's this grace is lavished on us. We already heard the language of lavish earlier in Ephesians. Again, he's just continuing to talk about this lavish richness of his mercy and grace. Paul does not want us to, to miss this, that it's so important to understand who this God is and what he's done for each moment of your life, because we're going to get to the second half of Ephesians, and he's going to give us some lot more practical. What does it look like to live in relationship with different people? What does it look like to, to fight Satan and evil in your life? And he's got to have this foundation. You understand the richness of this mercy. So last week, I shared a few bitmojis uh, of the bad news, the bummers. I can't, this is like the thing I get the most response from. I don't know what that says about our church. I get the most texts about your Bitmoji game is good. <laughs> like, that's cool. <laughs> I read the Bible too. Uh, <laughs> that's bad news. This, new, this week I gotta, I gotta share my favorite Bitmojis. Oh, tears of joy is one of my new faiths. Tears of joy. We have went from being dead to being alive because of this rich mercy. And if you want to see this play out, what does this look like in life? We have story after story of this happening. And we want that's very practical, like very real, a, a playing out of this, almost as if you went to the theater and watched the reality of this play out. And you'd say, whoa, that story is a lot like my spiritual story. Except it happens uh, a long time ago and it happens before Jesus actually dies on a cross. It's like he's acting out a play of what is about to happen in reality in all of our lives in a bigger way. It happens in the book of John. It's one of my favorite stories. It's the story I read when I'm having a day where I'm like, I, is, like, is this it? <laughs> this is 
the world just seems like it's in chaos and it's um, dark and it's heavy. Or just in my own life, I just say, I don't know what else to do. Lord, this is a story I often read. Um, it gives me great hope. It reminds me of who Jesus is and what he actually has come to do. This is a story about one of Jesus' close friends named Lazarus. And this is in the book of John chapter 11. Now Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. Someone comes to him and says, Lord, the one you love is sick. You love that description? I love that even. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Martha and Mary are these people who are friends of Jesus. You might remember other stories of the Martha or Mary and Lazarus, who is a friend of his. And they come to him and say, our brother Lazarus is really sick. He could die. His disciples, one of their first responses, Jesus' other friends that are with him, that are following him and say, hey, we can't go to their hometown because last time you were there, people tried to stone you. They tried to kill you. I get, yeah, I know Lazarus is sick, but you could get really hurt. And he says, well, that's not really an option. We, we have to go there. He shares like, if there's darkness, then light has to come in to push that darkness out. And so they do. Jesus actually tells them, uh, Lazarus has actually fallen asleep. And they say, oh, okay. And then he says, well, okay, let me clarify that. What I mean by that, plainly, Lazarus is actually dead. Maybe you thought he was even just really sick and we had time to get there to help him. He's actually dead. He's gone. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Can you imagine how that felt as a disciple? You thought, wow, it says he loves this guy. He says he won't let him die. But now he says it's good that he died so that we'd believe something happening here, right? If you know this story, we, we're getting this sense of like, Jesus is going to do something that will help us believe and put faith in this truth that he has power over death. Um, but if you can imagine the disciples, these friends of Lazarus, they feel the weight of this. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Have you ever felt that? I love, I love uh, art because it often can like express parts of uh, things that words can't. It's a painting from 1937, uh, just Jesus and his disciples in a series. Um, this, this feels like, let us go so we can die with him. I felt that, I mean, I think recently, very recently felt that. This death brings even more death. It seems to pull the life from those around who still have life in them. It seems to pull joy and peace and purpose, desire from you, it replaces that void with despair and hopelessness. It makes you just wish you could go die with Lazarus. I feel like this when I hear about countries being invaded, lives lost all over the world. I feel this when I hear about another child is shot, about violence around us, chaos and fear, hopelessness in our communities. I feel this when I see weary and burdened people in their homes. I see this just when I, my kids come home from school exhausted from all that there is. 
trying to process these really big things in the world that I can't process. And, and, and you feel, the, you just see the weight on them. I see this when there's just, just in the anger of brokenness, as if death like pulls life and joy out of you and replaces it with this anger and despair. I mean, Jesus, could you not have stopped this? This is your friend. They call him the one you loved. Well, they arrive in the town. They do go to the town. You feel the weight that's on these disciples, just this small group, his sisters who are feeling this. They arrive in the town and they find out Lazarus actually has been dead for four days. And his sisters run up to Jesus. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Of course she said, like, that's what I would, I don't know if I would have said it. I would have maybe hinted around about it. Hey, like, if, what were you doing four days ago? Right? She just says it. What were you doing? You love this guy. You could, you could do this. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. He's dead, but I know that you could ask whatever you want. It seems like God gives it to you. So maybe, could we see something here? So then Jesus responds. He says, your brother will rise again. Remember God's a riser-upper, a raiser-upper. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Just, I know someday, someday there'll be this time where people will raise from the dead. But right now my brother's dead. He says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's saying, no, no, you're in the presence of resurrection, of life. It's actually not a distant, like, historical moment. It's right here. It's a person. And if you believe in me, if your faith is in me, then death will no longer be a thing. He hasn't even went to the cross yet and died. But he's telling her, I'm the one. I'm the one to come to. I mean, you can imagine she's just there crying at his feet, broken. Now there's a whole crowd that now begins to come of mourners. So now it's the disciples there mourning. It's the, the sisters. All these others come and mourn and cry out. Cry out because of the effects of brokenness, of death, the weariness of sorrow. The suffering grows as it does in a community, the us, right? That together they're just mourning death and brokenness. And Jesus responds to them. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Don't miss this. Where you have laid, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, how, how, uh, See how he loved him? And some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? It's just the, rea- the realness of this moment. These people are crying and Jesus sees them weeping over death and he doesn't say, hey, hey, it's fine, stop. Come on, you know, I can raise them. This was all like a thing, so you'd believe. He's moved by it. 
He loves us. He's rich in mercy. He is kind towards us. He can't not be with us in our suffering and not weep with us. I knew this passage as a kid only because it was the shortest passage in the Bible. Jesus wept because, you know, this. anyone else do this? You had, to mem- you had to pick like a verse to memorize when I was in catechism class. And I got word from an older kid, do this one because it's only two words. I had no clue that it was telling me that my God was merciful and loving and with me in my suffering. So Jesus, while these people wept, didn't just say, ah, okay, weep, I'm gonna just give me a second. He just sits with them and weeps. His heart is moved. So in our death, in our brokenness, God didn't say, gosh, what are you doing? I guess I'll save you. He weeps with us. He's broken with us in it. To the point even you see someone says, wow, he must really love this person. And someone else says, yeah, but why didn't he just not let him die then? I always feel like there's like one guy on the side, like, but why didn't he just not let him die? Well, let's see what happens. Jesus weeps with him. His heart breaks over death, over broken lives, over sin and transgressions that brought this death. Not just for Lazarus, but with all who experience it. He doesn't, he's not just weeping just for Lazarus, but kind of with them. He saw them weeping and their hearts broken and now he's broken with them. It's incredible. He sits with them and he cries because he's rich in mercy. He draws near to the brokenhearted, the ones he loves. He doesn't run off from hard things. He runs right into them. He runs right towards those he loves. Remember, he's the one who drips with mercy. He's the billionaire of the currency of mercy. He lavishes love on us. He calls us family. He weeps over the brokenness. He's there with them. And this is the moment where it feels like if you're watching the movie, the music would change. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he says, take away the stone. This is when you'd be like, da-da-da. Then like all the minor chords would turn into like nicer chords. That's sorry, that's music theory, but hopefully you all can understand that. It would get like a little more exciting and there might be like some distant trumpets playing something. It's the drums are starting to go. It's getting a little more exciting. You're like, oh, something's changing. Something's about to happen. We were sad and dark and it was quiet. You just heard weeping and now suddenly something's building. There's like a slice of light coming through the darkness. He says, take away the stone of the tomb. That's the tomb where Lazarus was. And Martha says, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there'll be a bad odor for he's been there for four days. She's like, we don't open the tomb. It's going to smell. He's, he's clearly been dead for a few days. This is, he's really dead. He's really physically dead in the ground. Then Jesus said, did I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? This bad news is going to become really, really good news. The mourners, is a crowd gathered around, sniffling, crying. Their friend has died. All, all of them, including Jesus, has wept and he says, oh, let's open the tomb. 
Remember, I'm the resurrection, I am the life. And so they roll away the tomb. Jesus prays to the Father. He says, hey, I want you to glorify yourself. I want this to be a moment where people turn their faith to you because you're the one who brings life. I want you to be famous. I want you to be known as the one who raises people from the dead. And then he says these words. There's just an open tomb with a dead friend inside. And he says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. We don't, we, don't, we don't get a lot of description except he came out of the tomb. I love, I love this. This is where I would love like a, a little more of a build, maybe some other camera angles and like a panning shot with the sunrise in the background. And then Lazarus, it just says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. This is an incredible moment. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. What? This is an incredible moment. We went from mourning and crying, feeling the effects of death. They were hopeful. There was nothing they could do except cry out to God and say, this is broken. This is not right. Our friend who we loved. And then Jesus says, oh, don't forget. Through me, I am the resurrection. Light suddenly shines into the tomb. Darkness cannot overcome it. Lazarus is now alive. He was dead and he's alive. But God, who is rich in mercy, raises him from the dead. He was dead for four days. He smells like death. He looks like death. Feels like death. He's alive. From death to life, rich in mercy, love abounding, from crying to rejoicing, from tears of sorrow to tears of joy, from mourning to dancing, Jesus has raised the dead in brokenness. It must stink of death and sin, and he breaks in and pulls him from the grave. I mean, this is where, this is where we are. We're in the darkness, wrapped in our grave clothes, no hope. And suddenly the stone is moved back and Jesus appears in the light and he pulls us out and he says, come out, you're alive. And then he doesn't just say you're alive. And he says, take off those grave clothes. Take off that, the thing you're wearing that signifies that you're dead. And we hear in other parts of scripture, put me on, clothe yourself in me. Take off those grave clothes and go. I love that he just sends him out. Now, it's a little preview. Next week, we're going to get to the rest of this part of uh, Ephesians. And he does tell us also to go, hey, you were dead and you've been raised. I'm rich in mercy and love and I've come to rescue you. Take off those grave clothes and go. We're going to look, what does that look like to be people who go from that? Today, let's just rest in this. Just sit in the light Let's come into the darkness that's pulled us from the grave. Right now, he has given you life in the midst of brokenness. We can rejoice because we have a home and a family and a merciful God. And one day he will return. This isn't it. He's going to return and make things all right. That light's going to get brighter and it's going to restore and renew all things. Until that day, we suffer and we will mourn 
But we do not do that in darkness. The light has come through and we have new lives in Christ and a hope of a future in him. This week I saw a moment that, uh, that made me uh, think of what this could look like. Um, maybe many of you have seen this. This video is going around this week. This is a few days before the invasion in um, Ukraine, and this is a group of Christians from a church there, and they're in the metro station, and they decided to go there to sing hymns and pray. Um, one of the people there said they wanted to remind the people in Ukraine that God was still with them. So even in the midst of like, the midst of that weight and that burden, the brokenness that you're seeing, even just anticipating that coming at you, they say, yeah, that's coming, but we have a life. Whatever is thrown at us, we still have life. And they sang a song that was called, Let My Prayer Flow, and prayed prayers of salvation, mercy, forgiveness, and protection. They said they heard people crying out, please God, send mercy to us because they know the one who is rich in mercy, the billionaire of the currency of mercy. And they say, we need your mercy. Life, life isn't, it didn't just like get easy for them, but they know in the midst of that, in the midst of suffering and brokenness, life changes when you know the, who the resurrection is and you know who brings life and that life cannot be taken from you because of a God who's rich and mercy. I wonder what that looked like for us this week. If we believed that a God who is rich, rich in mercy and love, loves us and wants us and has pulled us from the grave. It might change a little bit of our motivation. I'm gonna invite our worship team up so we get some time ourselves just to sing of this great mercy, of this God who has rescued us. A few things to consider as we take some time to reflect. Um, A few questions. Will you receive the gift of life in Jesus? This question is for you. Maybe you have never said yes to Jesus. You're just checking it out and you say, maybe I do want to follow Jesus. Maybe it's, you've said that many times and today is the day you need to say again, yes. Yes, I accept that gift, Lord. What would this week look like if you believe God is merciful? If you actually believe the, the billionaire of the currency of mercy was with you and for you, Maybe just consider what you're mourning today. Just know Jesus weeps with you. You just need maybe some time just to, to do that, just to weep with Jesus. And then who needs to hear this good news this week? You're gonna get the opportunity to, to share that good news with someone else. Um, we also have people uh, in the back of the room who will pray for you. Um, if you just need prayers, um, together us in this, we can pray together. They would love to pray for you. Maybe even if you just want to share what you're mourning today, they'd love to pray with you. And also we have communion just outside the door. So if you head out, uh, we can't have food or drink in here. So we head out into the hallway and there's communion out there. We encourage you to take that. Maybe take that with someone else. Take some time to pray. That's just a reminder of, uh, for us, a symbol that Christ has died and risen. We just remember the sacrifice of his death that brings us life. Let me pray for us and we'll worship God together. Father, thank you for your goodness for your mercy, for your love. Please, Lord, just wash over us in your mercy. Change our hearts and our minds. Change who we are because of who you are in your mercy. Just know we're all hurting and and feeling brokenness in, in lots of ways. I pray that that would heal us.
that right now as we sing those words, they'd be very true to us and that would heal our hearts. We pray this in your very good name. Amen.